Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. This episode was a special bonus release following the conclusion of Solomon's Knot podcast series and is now being made available to the general public. For nearly two years, SportCampus.org and its associated partners have engaged college students directly by providing spiritual insight and highly relevant discussions on matters of faith, worldview, and truth in the broader culture. Today's guest is Robert Pierce, a former NC State alum and guest contributor to the show. Robert and I will unpack issues ranging from Greek mythology, Christianity in the early church, and Robert's personal journey from unbelief to sonship with Jesus. So, without further delay, let's get to our show. All right, guys, got an exciting guest today. I invited my good friend Robert, who had uh, previously joined me on one of the Voices episodes and uh, an outreach day that we had at NC State. Uh, Robert is a former NC State graduate and definitely one of those guys that really approaches things from the biblical and real practical standpoint. So, Robert, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your journey, the path that you were on maybe before you met Jesus, you know, just what that looked like for you. And then we'll just, we'll kind of unpack things as we, as they develop throughout the conversation. There's definitely a few conversations I want to have just because I know you. So without further ado. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, graduated about 10 years ago and studied math. Used to be all into science and philosophy, psychology, a lot of new age stuff. Yeah. It took me a long time but uh, finally came to believe in Christ. Had a lot of twists and turns along the way that I think a lot of people get caught up in today. And just like that guy we talked to on campus that one day. You're talking about Sky. Yeah, we'll drop the link to that episode in the voices. Yeah, I think there's a lot of alternative truths now for um, different explanations of, of what life is. We'll say that it's all matter, you know, and then on the other end, you have the new age people saying that everything is spiritual. Let me paint a picture for you for my friend Robert here. So Robert is wearing a leather motorcycle jacket. He does ride motorcycles. Yeah, Robert is definitely some some truth and wisdom that creeped out of antiquity and here to bless us on Solomon's Not Podcast with this amazing deep wisdom that he possesses. Uh, he maybe just take a few minutes and just kind of draw people in your testimony, your journey into into the realm of spirituality, how that looked for you. Just kind of paint a picture for the audience and even the students particularly. What led you to where you are today in your understanding? And maybe what are some like encouragement or warnings to people that, hey, you don't have to make these same mistakes that I did. What do you want to share? Well, I grew up um, going to church and being involved with all that and just like the pop science on TV definitely led me to believe that man could understand the universe. You know, I thought that there was no need for there to be a God. So when I got to college, I wanted to, um, you know, get deeper into science, studied applied math and physics, thought that, you know, if we understood everything on the basic level, we could also understand it at a higher level, meaning in the brain. But then I realized that it was really limited, like what science is capable of. Started to get more into philosophy read uh, existentialists and eventually ended up with Schopenhauer and Nietzsche that influenced me a lot but still couldn't really find the answer and looked into Taoism and Eastern meditation, yoga, psychedelics, all kinds of, of new age stuff and then just got to a point where I didn't know what to think anymore and one of my good friends was delivered from drug addiction and he said that it was because of Christ and I realized like oh, wow, there must be something to this, which led me to reading the scripture, and here I am today. 
Definitely a pretty amazing journey. A lot of twists and turns. Um, starts to make a little bit more sense now. Even as I've known you for the past year or so now. You're a very deep thinker. So I know we're in for a real treat today. I thought we would maybe set the stage for the conversation by just even going back. And I think maybe your journey in a way kind of also takes us back through time. You'd share with me, you know, obviously as a friend that you first started kind of getting into some of the ancient works from antiquity. And we've had guests on the show you know, read into some of those, you know, Epicurus, the Iliad, we'll talk about Homer, we'll talk about Socrates, talk about other people. The Greeks, I think, were definitely on to truth. They were definitely searching. And I think that part of that worldview started to shift from the realm of polytheism towards a theism, which the Jewish people had the entire time because they held on to monotheism and different cultures and history had at certain points, Zoastri and other things. But it seems like in that journey, even as a civilization, you on a personal level in a microcosm you were also on this journey of moving from the idea that god could be discovered through these various means in philosophies and religions so that seemed to have led you from kind of that pantheon of different beliefs to more the natural sciences and then we'll talk a little bit about that maybe even philosophy psychology other things that you'd mentioned i think you and i both dabbled in in various points towards something more concrete and theology uh, theism is not Jesus, but it's a path to get there. So as we start to really understand presuppositionally where we're at in our understanding of reality and truth, maybe that's when I think we're going to hit on the scriptures and really understand, okay, now that we've come this far, why do we approach God maybe in a totally different way through his word than any other belief system? And why is the Bible seems to have have some type of preeminence in terms of human understanding and wisdom. What's the difference? Why not these other religious beliefs and philosophies? So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that too. All right. So without further ado, what do you want to talk about? You got the mic, Robert. Do you want to go right in the scriptures? We can, if you think that's going to help lay the foundation, or do you want to go back in the past? What's on your heart? Well, I think one thing that led me to go through all the stuff was um, maybe unconsciously I was looking for God, but at the time it seemed like, you know, what's the meaning of life? What should we be doing? And I think that's the question a lot of people have today because they feel like their life is meaningless and they're going to die and they want to know what it's all about or if they're just wasting their time. You know, people have bad experiences with Christianity and they go elsewhere to answer those questions. So maybe as a leading question, as you were in your search, you know, as a college student, as a young man, you're at NC State studying engineering philosophy. You came from a church upbringing. Um, and I think that while some people wouldn't make the argument, if you were raised in another part of the world where another leading religion, Islam or, you know, Hinduism, something that laid the foundation for your worldview, then there's no way you could have divorced that from your worldview as you were pursuing God. So therefore, the conclusion is, yeah, you found Jesus because you were raised in it. But on the flip side, you could make that argument, well, if you were on a pursuit of truth and there was truth in Eastern mysticism or there was truth in the human psyche and being able to discern and discover through science or philosophy and various sources of truth or experience through the New Age and other practices that you could ascend to that universal consciousness, that understanding of reality. Why did that fall short for you? And as you're explaining that, what were some of those practices and what was the fruit of those? Why weren't they sufficient for you? 
Well, first of all, I think that all the practices together really exalt man instead of God, and that puts a man at the center, says that we have all the power and the understanding and the ability. So it's fundamentally flawed. But ultimately, why didn't it work? Because there was no power in anything. I had all this knowledge and thought I was applying it, but it never changed me. You can have a certain amount of revelation, but you're still bound, and you're still dead in sin, stuck in your old habits. And yeah, some people, I guess, are able to achieve a certain level of so-called enlightenment. I don't know. I definitely didn't get there. And just for context, you know, because Robert, you're very humble, soft-spoken man, very quiet man. Can you unpack maybe a little bit who some of those scholars or just figures as you were in that pursuit of truth and experience and revelation, even just different works and things that you dabbled in? Well, I think there's two big modes of thought, and that's what I'd come to in the end before I became a Christian. One is your typical uh, Western idea of live your life to the fullest. You only live once, you know, be the best you can be. And then the other end of the spectrum, you have a lot of the Eastern stuff that I'd gotten into, where it's more about eliminating suffering by overcoming or suppressing desires and practicing a sort of an ascetic life. You know, there's Buddhism, Taoism, you know, yoga, the Vedic religion. There's all kinds of stuff out there that has this certain mode of thought because it is all a coherent framework of thinking different people have different takes on it but it is appealing because it's contrary to what we're typically told to believe and gives you an alternative answer to life that you can overcome the world and and that's how there is truth in it it's like christ says take heart i've overcome the world because he has ascended to another spiritual level beyond the love of the world and that way of thinking believes that you can do it without christ you can only attain some kind of man-made form of it that's incomplete. How would you maybe answer some of the objections like, well, maybe you didn't apply the teachings in the correct way? Like, how can we trust you as an authority from the standpoint of, well, how deep did you go? And I can make the same argument in the Christian faith. Like, why should I believe your testimony that those practices didn't work? You know what I mean? When you say, did you do like a cursory exploration? Because I know the way you think when you put your hand to something, when you start applying knowledge and search to whatever problem or whatever curiosity you have, you're going to go all in. I've seen this in different areas of your life and your job and you know, just examining the way you live, the way you think about things. Um, and you kind of hold yourself to a high standard in that process. So explain maybe to our viewers, what was the level of insight or intensity? Like how passionate were you on pursuing that truth? And why did you allow yourself to go into those various realms what was the point at which you realized it wasn't enough you know because there's always those yogis there's always experts in every field that goes super deep their lifestyle everything just aligns that could you make the argument that either a god was leading you out of that and you knew it deep down and you suppressed it or could you take it from the other perspective and say really i gave it everything i had and i realized at the end of the day like either there was just deception there or people were just weren't actually living by their own values and beliefs or level of ascendancy in that particular space, whether it's those scholars or those practices, just never met muster from an intellectual perspective. Like what was the sticking point for you? And why did you essentially leave those behind to continue on that search? 
Well, I definitely wasn't perfect in my following of all that. And I think I had the same problem that a lot of people do is they just pick and choose different things from different places and put it all together in a way that suits them. It's fundamentally different from how we come to the scripture. But I was pretty serious. I mean, I, I used to meditate and I think that did have a pretty big impact on me. I mean, maybe an hour a day towards the end and did yoga. I definitely felt like I reached a state where I had sort of numb myself and emptied myself, but it didn't really have much life or much love. I was just sort of drifting through life. And I honestly think that it does open the door more for demonic oppression when you empty yourself out. And I believe that's why people have such strange experiences when they get into that stuff. Ultimately, I just realized that I was just floating through life. You know, I wasn't really living. Yeah, man, it sounds like you're definitely searching for, I think, more than just truth. I mean, I think you're looking for a relationship. It seemed like you had this emptiness and you were trying to attain this level of peace and just connection maybe with the universe, n yeah, nature, uh, just your own mind and all that. So I thought that would be a good segue. I like to kind of go back a little bit in antiquity because I think this will help us even understand when Jesus emerged. And we talked about this in previous episodes, but he emerged at a time where the world itself was kind of at this apex point of knowledge and understanding and commerce, warfare and all these things. Like Jesus kind of shows up and he takes it to the most logical conclusion is that there's sin present. There's something wrong in human nature. And really, I think in just reality itself, that's flawed because if all these other pantheon of gods, if all these other religions and all these other practices saved, how much more conquest can nations have like Rome at the time ruled the world like how much more conquest can you have and I think the Greeks went through this the Egyptians went through this other nations went through this when you reach a point where you rule the world now you want to rule ideas you want to rule hearts not only physically there's dominance but intellectually and spiritually and I think this is the point that Jesus emerged when man reached a point just like you did in your journey and I did in my journey where we realize there's only so much more in life that we can grasp and attain on our own strength what's the next plateau or next mountaintop spiritual ascendancy enlightenment what happens when that doesn't satisfy right so in your journey maybe just closing out this part of the conversation is there any individuals or people you met along the way that really helped shape some of that you know was it all for nothing is there any kind of wisdom or truth that you still look back to every now and again like wow like that was actually quite profound even though it was not really true who are some of those people that stuck out well I think Schopenhauer really had a profound impact on me. Even just as a writer, he's exceptional just in his ability to phrase things. And he was the first philosopher to really just say, the world is not a good place. It's evil. There's suffering. It's a fallen world. And there's just really no good in it. You know, everybody else says, oh, he's a pessimist. But what he teaches there is actually what the Bible teaches. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He just went wrong where his solution, which is, you know, asceticism and and not believing in God and trying to transcend the world in a different way. But that's something that really stuck with me and I think helped me to see that we did need deliverance from sin and salvation from 
sin. And then man really is evil and not good, as a lot of people try to say. So I think, yeah, that really shaped my thinking and my epistemology. I still hold to a lot of what he believes, like how do we know different things and how can we gain knowledge about the world and understand life. Very cool. Yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes if anyone's interested. I'm excited to announce that forcampus.org will be launching our last outreach day in the coming weeks. We'll be gathering at Tally Student Union on Saturday, March 4th, around noon. We'll be sharing the gospel with students while utilizing effective methods of apologetics and engagement to the lost. If you don't already own our signature I Want to Listen t-shirt, please arrive to the outreach day to secure your free gift. Supplies are limited, so get there early. Now, let's listen to the conclusion of this amazing discussion. I'm curious as a modern example, and I think C.S. Lewis and others, you know, you can probably lump into those categories, those intellectual thinkers of the past few centuries, enlightenment forward. I've always been fascinated. I know you've dabbled a little bit into some of the Greek myths, these philosophers, Plato and Socrates, Horace, others, playwrights and such that really did have some insight, even though they came out of this polytheistic environment. Uh, I think we don't give the ancients some credit for at least thinking some of these things through, which could have gotten them killed in some cases it did, because essentially it's the same type of conversations we're having today. What's the meaning of things, the ways of the world, and why can't the human heart seem to move past some of these? And I think um, even in a modern context, if we're talking about modern philosophers, I think Gandhi is a really notable example. Um, Here's a person that really was trying to solve the issue in a practical way of reconciliation in seeing past racial and religious lines between Muslims and Hindus and Christians. If you really examine some of his teachings, he really did draw a lot from Christ and the Sermon on the Mount and other passages in Scripture. So I think that we kind of see some of these figures and these movements happen at key points throughout civilization where major forces are at play between humanity and various movements and people and ideas. So I want to open up with this little text. I've been holding on this for a while. I wanted to originally write a book about this, but I was like, no, this is going to be too much work and there's already people have done it but this is the intro and if you listen to any talks and jordan peterson he does reference this as well but i'll read this brief intro to a book that i never wrote called the god flies maybe i'll write it one day but it says in the intro so i'm just going to read this i am the fly that which god has attached to the state and all day long arousing and persuading and reproaching you will not easily find another like me and that was plato speaking of socrates and his apology 400 years before Christ, an obscure Greek teacher named Socrates challenged the prevailing status quo of his day, later costing him his life and changing most of Western civilization as we know it. In his final defense, or apologia, the famed philosopher likened his public role to that of a nagging horsefly, purposely sent by the divine to challenge the moral virtues of Athenian society. Sounds like pre-evangelism right here. Legend stated that a man once approached the oracle at Delphi and asked him who the wisest person of their time was. The oracle promptly responded, Responded, it is Socrates. In wonder, the man proceeded to investigate why and how this aged philosopher was indeed the greatest. Robert, sounds like that was you when you were in college. <laughs> Socrates taught in the public forum and attracted many young pupils, including the famous Plato, who would later write his biography, among other seminal works of the era. So, like, pretty much all of Socrates' disciples wound up being like some of the leading philosophers of their time. So, it's interesting. Socrates was unique in that he made his life's mission to engage with leading intellectuals 
intellectuals of his time on matters of truth. He openly debated philosophers, poets, and politicians, even challenging the existence of gods within the Greek pantheon. This, of course, upset the current power balances and created many enemies among the ruling elite. Socrates was tried for crimes against the state and sentenced to death by self-induced poison. His Socratic methods of discourse would later form the foundation of modern intellectual thought, still practiced in colleges and public discourse today. Following an investigation of Socrates' exploits, the man concluded that the Oracle of Delphi was indeed correct. The mere fact Socrates had searched out wisdom, not professing to be wise himself, had made him the wisest person of their time. What Socrates had discovered was that the more people thought of themselves, the less wisdom they truly possessed. Little did he realize that centuries later, another man, Jesus of Nazareth, would step onto the world stage and challenge the political and religious elites of his era, the topic of whom the remainder of this book will address through the lens of evangelism, truth, and disruptive technologies employed at present, like this podcast. I really wanted to actually write about how evangelism kind of emerged in history and what evangelism kind of looks like in the modern age, like really the point of trying to have these important conversations and challenge some of these leading ideals and really getting to the heart of things like what is it that we're doing our purpose or meaning our origins of life all those things and I thought it was fascinating how the Greek world was kind of really the Hellenistic world was actually really prepared or was really um, primed to receive Jesus centuries before he arrived and you know one would argue well God didn't really need to do all that you know there's no connection between some of these people in antiquity and Christ in that sense but I think from the standpoint of redemptive history and all that Robert you made decisions in your life, just as I have, that have fundamentally changed the trajectory of our lives, not just for our time, all those people that live and exist around us, our neighbors, but maybe also for future generations. Because you'd think like, hey, it's 2023. Like, why are there still Christians around? Haven't they already disappeared? Like, hasn't their God not come back already? But obviously some things are still going down. What's your response maybe to some of the conversation? Was it just about the stories or you think that the ancients were onto something deep? And we'll lead from that conversation into scripture and, and how that ties together. All right, what do you want to say? Well, I think it's difficult to say. Plato certainly set the stage for all of the philosophy after him, and Socrates, I guess, before him. I don't know if this answers your question, but I think there is a, um, in different cultures and value systems, there's different ideas of, like, a hero myth. I know Joseph Campbell talks a lot about this sort of thing. And one thing that I think is interesting about Socrates is that when he died, he was able to accept his death well, and he quoted Achilles' response to, uh, his mother when she prophesied to him saying on the heels of Hector's death yours must come at once and he said then let me die at once you know he was willing to die for what he believed in for the sake of higher thinking and yeah and just like in these eastern cultures it's like you have the monk or the guru that's held up and you have you know the warrior in the ancient cultures but ultimately we do see Christ as the ultimate hero who did give his life to redeem us who was the suffering servant man has taken that and perverted it in a lot of different ways. But yeah, that's just one way where the Greeks started to think, oh well, there is some perfect abstract realm where we can come to the truth ourselves. 
That's good. It's not like these people just sat around all day thinking about stuff. I mean, they built some of the greatest empires known to man that endured for hundreds to thousands of years. You know, there's still speculation of how the pyramids are built. We still look at some of these ancient structures and we marvel. We look at the vastness of their empires and how diverse those empires were. And to be able to achieve the feats that they had, obviously the understanding of the cosmos and navigation and things that today we have all this technology, but we still have these issues of the human heart. You know, there's a change that happened in history around this period of time, you know, for thousands of years outside of what we know from the Jewish people, that lineage, most of the world believed that they could engage with these celestial beings and these spiritual realities and dimensions. And they lived their lives in societies organized around what the gods were going to determine for their agriculture, for warfare, just the way of life or death, you know, and so it's kind of quite profound that something world changing could occur in such a short period of time. It wasn't like the first time people had heard this type of thing. There's plenty of people in antiquity that claimed to be incarnate or that people revered as incarnate. Was it certain pharaohs people believed were god men? You had myths of various kinds with Zeus and others. It definitely was the first time that someone had emerged with true power, power that came from God. And it was amazing. It's almost like Jesus did what no other human civilization could do. He conquered people's ideas. The fruit of that is thousands of years later, people are still coming to saving truth and knowledge of Christ in an experiential way that no other civilization or pantheon of gods has ever been able to achieve. Now I'd argue that some of those pantheons have emerged and repackaged themselves in modern forms, you know, whether it's just different different civilizations and their pantheons, even modern day superheroes and, you know, the whole Marvel universe and how much borrows from ancient periods. If you want a good documentary on that, watch the replacement gods. We'll drop a link in the show notes for them. But I want to read this quote before we transition from Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I'm sure you've heard of him. He was one of those French intellectual philosophers, existentialists. If you guys haven't heard about him, he was a Genevan philosopher, writer, and composer whose political philosophy influenced the progress of enlightenment through Europe, as well as aspects of the French Revolution and the development of modern political, economic, and educational thought. So one of the leading architects of the philosophical revolution that basically formed the Enlightenment, which if that didn't occur in good and bad ways, I don't think we would have had even some of the breakthroughs and technology and some of the advancements we've had in global communication and the higher education institutions we have today. He's a big deal. Kind of the Socrates of the French intellectual era in that period of time. But what does he say of Socrates? Interestingly, he says this. He says, Socrates dies with honor, surrounded by his disciples, listening to the most tender words, the easiest death one could wish to die. Apparently that was prophesied. Jesus dies in pain, dishonor, mockery, the object of universal cursing, the most horrible death that one could fear. At the receipt of the cup of poison, Socrates blesses him who could not give it to him without tears. Jesus, while suffering the sharpest pains, prays for his most bitter enemies. If Socrates lived and died like a philosopher, Jesus lived and died like a god. I don't even believe John Jacques Rousseau was a theist, but the fact that he would acknowledge the historical realities of both these individuals and the linkages between those and even some of the differences. It's almost suggesting like, hey, how you live and how you die is equally important from the perspective of why we should trust you as an authority. And I think that what we see is that regardless of how much human intellectual progress we make, we don't truly understand what wisdom is. Yet somehow these men, and obviously God himself, had a pretty good idea of what that was supposed to look like. So if on the one hand, our example of man in its most purest and intellectual way 
still defaults, as you said earlier, in self. Who could not honor me as I'm about to die for this life that I live and this contribution I brought to humanity? Humble brag, right? And then Jesus says, no, I want you to forgive all the people that are doing wrong to you, and I want you to live a higher life. All right, so maybe as a transition point, as we lead into more of the unpacking from a biblical and theological perspective, what would you like to lead with, or what have you been reading recently? Is there anything particular in that pursuit of truth? What led you back to Christianity or the Bible as a source of truth and reality? Because for some people, they say, okay, we might know there's truth there. But for students or young people, you know, what led you on that truth and that path? And what do you want to say? Well, I think after I saw my friend saved and delivered, I finally decided to start reading the Bible. That's really where it all started. I remember reading Matthew and John in particular. It says, when the guards come back who were sent to get Jesus, when they ask him why they didn't get him, they said, nobody ever spoke like this man. And that was my reaction. I remember scratching my head and thinking, how can this stuff just be made up? I've never read anything like this before. And I can remember, especially John, thinking, yeah, it has to be true. Like When you said it has to be true, like, can you explain maybe what was happening in your heart at the time? Were you reading this, comparing it against all these other figures and beliefs that you had held at the time? Or were you actually just trying to read it as purely an objective source of truth and then seeing if it actually had life? Like, did you approach it the same way you approached all these other beliefs and practices? Like, hey, I'm going to go all into this, so I'm not going to let all these other competing beliefs and ideas, I'm just going to give it a fair reading? Or were you coerced into reading this because your friends and family and all the pressures there? Kind of explain that briefly. Well, I was just curious because I felt like I didn't really know what the truth was anymore, and apparently my friend had benefited somehow from it, so I just thought I would see what I could glean from it, just out of curiosity. And then, yeah, I come across passages like this in John chapter 6, where it says, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, so obviously we know what Jesus is talking about when he references his blood, his body, the word says that he is the bread of life and that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then by the blood, by his stripes, we are healed. The blood is also a representation of the covenant that he's forming with us, the sacrifice. And we see that back in time of Exodus. Uh, they had sacrificed the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost, right? The blood of the innocent on the doorpost to protect the Jewish people from the angel of death, bringing judgment on Egypt for their pantheon of beliefs and false gods. What did this verse... I know you have to take yourself back to 
a place where you weren't regenerate and you didn't have this understanding and belief. But when you're reading this, are you thinking, oh, this is Christian vampire stuff? Or like, what was profound about passages like these? I don't know, maybe Sermon of the Mount, other things. What stuck out? And why isn't these other faiths sufficient when they mention truth claims? What is it about this that just is radically different? Well, a lot of people like to think Jesus is just a good teacher, that he's not the Messiah. And part of the reason that is is probably because he's cryptic in revealing himself and he um mysterious yeah he's uh well i mean compared to like say muhammad who wrote his scripture himself because yeah christ didn't write anything this is a second-hand account he teaches in parables and metaphors but it's still clear in the end that he's claiming to be the messiah i just think it's his life and his works the entirety of the scripture bear witness to him in a way where he doesn't need to you know like muhammad rise to power and take over the world and establish some kind of Jewish state to proclaim himself as the Messiah. You know, he can just live a perfect life, teach people as he's going and die at a young age, rise again, and then everyone else give the testimony of his life. I love that you went right to the gospel to explain in that search. I saw what it did in my friend's life. Maybe can you talk a little bit about, and we'll we'll get into Romans because I know you want to talk about Romans. (laughs) Uh, But could you maybe talk just briefly about how your friend's journey or heart change, new nature, what have you, led you... By the way, a lot of young people make decisions based on what their friends do (laughs) instead of maybe necessarily taking wisdom from their parents or people who are older than them. How was it that seeing somebody that you were close to, your best friend, go through a nature change that led you on that path? And why may not why may not that be the case for other people? Or is that the best way if we want to lead other people if they're our friends or family? Well, I definitely think people need to see the power of Christ before they really consider it in a lot of cases. And for me, my friend had a really bad drug problem for years, and he would go to rehab, get out, and then he would use drugs again, go back to rehab. But the final time that he went, because he's been clean ever since, he was he was different. Like, I could tell that this time he really didn't want to go back to using drugs. And yeah, and this time he was telling me about Jesus in a strong way, not just suggesting, but really preaching. I could tell that was the cause, and he said that was the cause of what gave him that power. Because like I said, you know, I'd looked into all this other stuff, and it gave me different ways to look at the world. It gave me different tools to deal with life, but it didn't really give me power to be free. And yeah, and God set him free from that addiction. So briefly, okay, just from a skeptical position, well, why wouldn't the 12-step program and the God of his own understanding be sufficient? Why wouldn't the self-will, self-help version of that lead you on this same journey? What was it specifically about that last time? The fruit of that led you personally to the same conclusion that there must be something more to that transformation? Well, part of it is, I mean, he had already been through it before, you know, the 12 step. And I mean, I've seen, you know, other people who have gone through it before too. It didn't, it may have like helped them to abstain, but it didn't liberate them. But I guess to speak of that in biblical terms, you know, Romans talks about we're dead in Adam. Christ says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. But 
if we believe in him, the Son will set you free. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Could you maybe, in its most simple and reduced way, explain to our audience, the students, parents, others that are listening, what that means? Well, I guess to sum it up, so we were already made sinners thousands of years ago. It wasn't because at some point we made a wrong turn and we lost our innocence as we grew up. We were born that way and there's no escape unless you trust in Christ and then in the contrast, by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Which in a way sounds just like the passage from either John 3.17 or Luke 19.10 which I actually like. It says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And What's interesting is, go back to the ancient times, the Hebrew writers, Moses, the scribes and the scholars in that time who professed also to see these signs and wonders. So the way the Bible presents itself is not like, hey, here's some nice, fluffy, esoteric language that you can personalize and be the God of your own understanding. No, this is saying we saw these things, signs and miracles, our God did this. And these are the places you can go and these are the people you can go and ask. By the way, like you can still go to those places and find these locations. Now, some of them are bit more obscure but i love that same salvific language even in the genesis narrative we're talking about joseph who is also kind of like a precursor to christ an innocent man that was thrown into bondage and slavery god is with him the entire time he flees from sin temptation wrongfully accused and then somehow ascends through prophecy through dreams through revelation all these things to the second in command of all of egypt under pharaoh mind you he's still a slave but he doesn't have a slave mindset He doesn't have the mindset that man is the greatest ruler in his life, that he's sovereign. The Pharaoh would have had that perspective. People would have worshipped Pharaoh as if he was a god. Joseph, however, says this, and he says this of his brothers who sold him into captivity, dishonored him just like Jesus' disciples sold him out. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So in a way, your friend's suffering and redemption had a purpose, even if he was personally dealing with addictions and struggles that you weren't, but your suffering was different. Your suffering may have been more intellectual or may have been more relational. I want to know my ultimate meaning and purpose so I can escape suffering, right? And achieve some type of higher enlightenment. What's interesting is what's the commonality? You both are sinful. You both are in need of saving and both are willing and obviously able to submit themselves and humble themselves before God as you're seeking him through his word. What was the fruit of that? So maybe in summary, from where you were before, all that searching, all that striving, are you just kind of going back to where you started from the beginning as you were raised in your Christian faith with your traditions and that type 
type of heritage that you came from. How do you know the Bible now is your last stop on the road trip to truth? And do you have peace about that? Well, I think um, even now, still obviously not perfect in thought and action, but comparatively, I do have a new life in Christ. Because before, me and my friend, we were just living for the things of the world. You know, it says in Ephesians, we were bound up in a cycle of seeking out those things and suffering for it because it was inherently evil and we were reaping the fruit of that. You know, even though now we may still make a wrong turn every now and then, we have the power to live for God and we know God now. As we grow into that, life just gets better and better and God gives purpose and an answer to the questions about life that we have and one that is coherent throughout the entirety that isn't contradictory and doesn't need external supplementation. Well, thank you for that wisdom and sharing part of your life and testimony, the journey you've been on. I know we had talked about this offline. I don't know how much you wanted to share on this, but apparently you're going back to NC State. You know, these patterns in life, I love it. Maybe now that you're on the other side of truth, if you could say that, that perspective of I was once lost and now I'm found. How do you think your journey through school now is going to be different, not just in your life maturing, but do you look at those same students or your peers, professors and others from a different light now, knowing that you have peace with God? Then how do you live that out in light of the culture and the environment you're going to step into? It's another hard question. But one thing that I realize now, it's really not all about career and success within my control. You just have to trust God and take one day at a time. Just be obedient in the small things and let God take care of the rest. Well, Robert, do you have any resources, anything you'd like to provide for the students or those who are listening? Words of wisdom people share, maybe even something from the scriptures. What do you want to say? I don't know. I would really just recommend reading the Gospels, trying to find out who Christ is. Because, I mean, those are the best records we have, right? Yeah, well, compared to Homer's Iliad and all the other ancient works, Aurelius Meditations, all those, apparently there's more manuscript evidence to support that argument, but we're not going to get into that this episode. If you guys want any information on that, apologetics, practicals, go to the website forcampus.org slash questions. There's a little snippet on there. Is the Bible reliable? You might find some of that helpful. All right. Well, Robert, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Would you be okay putting yourself out there? People wanted to get a hold of you, had any questions or things like that. Sure. All right, cool. Reach out through the ministry. We'll get you in touch with Robert if you want to ask him any questions or you have any you know, follow-ups you want to do. So yeah, thank you for tuning in to this exciting bonus episode for the passionate followers of Jesus and Solomon's Knot. Yeah, if you found this beneficial, please share it with friends and colleagues. We'll have it up here on the site for a little bit. I may throw it on the podcast channel. This was supposed to be just for the hardcores, but um, yeah, I was really uh, amazed and proud of you. the journey you've been on just in the last year. And guys, look, he's coming. NC State, look out for Robert. You may see him in one of your engineering classes or philosophy section, library, dropping some wisdom on cats. So you going to be like rolling up to the campus on the motorcycle, like on the reg like that? Yeah, watch him. You might be on the motorcycle, so go easy on him. All right. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Solomon's Knot Podcast, a production of 4campus.org and its associated partners. Our ministry has sought to deliver the most impactful and intellectually stimulating content to our students and guests. Please consider sharing this resource to fellow classmates, leaders, and peers within your spheres of influence. We hope to see you at our next outreach event or on campus in the near future. So, until next time, this is your host, Jason, officially signing out.
Peace.